Okay, so to start off, to, to start off, I'd like to reintroduce myself. Hello, my name is Tyson Hodge. I have a new life in Christ, and I am in recovery from pornography and a lustful heart, sinful outbursts of anger toward my family, and making an idol of my own respect and reputation. And then you guys say, hi, Tyson. So that is my regeneration greeting. I say some form of that every Monday night at our regeneration program. Well, most Mondays. So that was a lie. I'm also in recovery from lying. Um, if you come to our regeneration discipleship and recovery program on Monday nights, you will witness people being vulnerable about their sin struggles. For many people, hearing folks talk this way is totally different from other church things that they've been a part of. The thought of sitting in a room with a small group of men or women and sharing sin struggles and working through them can be scary. Another part of regeneration is when we hear stories of life change that people experience while going through the regeneration curriculum and the freedom from sin that they find. If you're not used to it, it can be a little intimidating. Once people do get used to it, they start to experience the growth and freedom from sin that comes with this Christ-centered vulnerability. They start saying things like, wow, this is what the church was meant to be like, or this is the most meaningful part of my church involvement. It genuinely can be life-changing. So why does this happen? Why is vulnerability life-changing? We believe that true healing and real freedom from sin comes through genuine Christ-centered vulnerability. And I'm not talking just about regeneration. This is a core part of First Christian Church. We understand that sin thrives in darkness. But when we confess and bring it into the light, God gives us healing and freedom. James 5.16 says, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. I believe that stating my sin struggles out loud, like I did just a minute ago in my greeting, strengthens my fight against these sins. It helps me to find true freedom. It helps me to confess and repent. However, I can only do this if I have justification through Christ. Justification is defined as to free a human of the guilt and penalty attached to grievous sin. Without justification through Jesus, the moral law of God found in the Old Testament is my authority. And the only justification it gives me is, well, none. To be vulnerable about my sin under God's law means confession to crime that requires my death. Righteousness through good deeds only comes if I am perfect and blameless for my entire life. And I have bad news for you. If you think that I'm a pastor because I'm such a sinless guy, the sins I listed earlier are not my only sins. I'm a liar. I have murdered people in my heart with, uh, when I'm angry. I have stolen things. I choose to honor myself instead of God daily. I have an abundance of selfishness. The list goes on. What about you? What would your regeneration greeting sound like? What sins do you struggle with? What do you struggle with often? What secrets do you keep to yourself? 
How often do you seek your own desires even when they hurt you or others? How often do you have to work at self-justifying a business or a personal decision because your conscience is burning you? The Apostle John says in 1 John 1.8, If we say we have no sin, then we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. The bad news is, because of our sin, the perfect law of God requires our death. However, I can confess my sin to you right now, today, and not be terrified that God will reject me or kill me for not living up to this perfect standard because I'm already dead. God is not going to kill me because I am dead already. If you're thinking, what do you mean, Tyson? You're sitting right there. Uh, I'll explain more in a bit when we dig into our scripture later. But before that, I have a story to tell that illustrates more of this death idea. So back in March of 2020, you know, like five COVID years ago, a world-renowned Nazi hunter named Dr. Ephraim Zuroff came and spoke at First Baptist Church in Greenville. And I went and listened to him. He talked about his life's work of, of tracking down Nazi criminals who never were brought to justice for their crimes against humanity. He worked all over the globe doing this. One thing that he shared really stuck with me. He, what he said was, um, it, he said that he was probably the only Jew who prayed for the good health of Nazis. What an odd thing to say. Well, he explained that he prayed for the good health of Nazis so that he and other Nazi hunters could find them and bring them to justice before they die. He reminded us that many of the people that they are trying to bring to justice are in their 90s. For example, just this week in the news, a 95-year-old woman was charged with complicity of 10,000 deaths in a concentration camp. She was 21 at the time. Some of these people die of old age while being investigated or during their trial or while in prison after only serving one or two years of their sentence. So why would Dr. Zuroff work so hard to bring these people already so close to death to justice? To quote Dr. Zuroff, he said, the passage of time does not diminish crime or guilt. The reason Zuroff praise for their good health is that they cannot be charged with a crime if they're dead. Seems straightforward enough. I mean, once they're dead, he is unable to do anything about bringing them to justice. His authority only stretches that far to the point of their death. Once the criminals die, his authority ends. He is powerless to bring them to justice, to put them in jail. Dr. Zuroff and the justice systems of the world can only deliver justice to criminals while they're alive. The justice systems cannot give them extra life so they can persecute them. And for that matter, they cannot give life back to the victims. And ironically, the debt that these criminals pay is usually the rest of their own lives spent in prison. This makes me think of the Mosaic Law. The Mosaic Law is like Dr. Zuroff, except the Mosaic Law is fast and complete and does not have to hurry to catch anyone before they slip out of its authority. Also, the Mosaic Law doesn't only focus on the world's worst criminals. The law has authority over anyone who does not live up to God's perfect standard. And that is all of us. 
The law of God finds all of us guilty. The curse of the law is death for anyone who does not live up to God's perfect and sinless standard for the entirety of their lives. We are hopeless to escape this curse. We are hopeless to avoid condemnation through our ability to be good enough on our own. And this is exactly what Paul is trying to communicate to the Galatians in this letter. So before we dig deeper in today's passage, let's refresh with a little bit of context. Paul has started several churches in the Galatia region. He taught them the clear gospel of salvation through faith in Jesus Christ alone. They had received it. They were growing well. But then false teachers came behind Paul and they were leading them astray. They were teaching them that Jesus' death on the cross was not enough. That they had to come to work for justification. They had to continue to work for justification by following the law. Paul writes this letter to the Galatians to correct that error of including works with the gospel of Jesus. First, Paul establishes his credentials as apostle who received the gospel from Jesus himself. He then tells the story of Peter making the same mistake these Galatians were making. Paul then continues to make further theological arguments as to why trying to include works for justification is entirely wrong. Okay, so let's look into our scripture for today. Verse 15. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. So Tommy talked about these first two verses last week, so we're not going to linger here long. But what I do have is one thing I wanted to share about them. One commentary I read said that there is no definite article in the original in the original Hebrew, in the three times that these verses refer to the law. There is no the, is what I'm trying to say. So, where it says, because by works of the law, no one will be justified, it actually reads, because by works of law, no one will be justified. What this implies is that Paul is commenting on any law system. Anything that you might submit to as your code of morality in an attempt to please God does not justify you. It only condemns. All right, picking it back up, verse 17. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I've proved myself to be a transgressor. If we first accept justification through Jesus alone, but then try to rebuild the law to supplement Christ because we think it's going to give us bonus righteousness credit, we only prove our transgressions. How so? What the Galatians thought they were doing was adding righteousness points or something like that by following the law in addition to Christ. We do the same thing. We believe our good works make us more acceptable to God. What we don't realize is the law does not add credit to our account. It's not a positive point system. It only takes points away. It adds debt 
to those who don't keep it. When you follow the law, you don't get credit or points or kudos or high fives from God. The law is an illustration of the bottom standard of God. It would be like you walking up to the police and saying, hey, I didn't just punch that guy over there in the face and steal his money. I insist on being rewarded for not doing that. Paul says that if he added back law following to earn salvation from God, he is only adding back all of the condemning debt the law gives. It would only prove further that he hasn't followed the law perfectly. For the Galatians to depend on good works for salvation is an error and proves they didn't understand the law's purpose. So then Paul moves on to a point that I think is a strong nail in the coffin. Let's pick it up at verse 19. For through the law, for through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So remember when I said I can confess my sins publicly because I'm already dead? Well, we have arrived at the explanation time. So Paul says, through the law, I died to the law. What does that mean? All of the sacrifices required by the Mosaic law in the Old Testament were reminders of the ultimate sacrifice of the Messiah that was to come. All of the animal sacrifices on the temple altar were temporary placeholders for the people. Instead of the people dying for their own sins, the animal sacrifices were killed instead, covering their sins. But it wasn't good enough. Hebrews 10.4 says, For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. These animal sacrifices only covered them up, only covered up the sin until it could be entirely and utterly removed. A better sacrifice had to be made. A perfect representative had to represent us. 1 Peter 3.18 says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. Christ represented you and me on the cross. Christ died in our place. Our sin requires our death and eternal separation from God in hell. But Christ stepped into our place. He represented us. When Christ was nailed to the cross, we were nailed to the cross. When Christ died on the cross, we died on that cross. When Christ rose from the dead into new life, being made alive in the spirit, we were made alive in the spirit. The law of Moses no longer has authority over our lives, able to demand our death and eternal separation from God. Why? Because the law has been satisfied through the death of Jesus. We have been set free from the authority of the law and from the impossibility of trying to gain justification through living a good enough life. But it doesn't end there. Paul continues, picking up just before the start of Verse 20, for though the law I died in the, for through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. 
And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. The life I now live, the life we now live, we live by faith in the Son of God. We are not tied to the impossible requirement of following the law perfectly. Instead, we have the Spirit of Christ that indwells us and directs us. As we grow in a relationship with the Spirit, we are led to conformity to the image of Jesus. But why? Why did he do this? Why does he love this filthy bag of bones and flesh? Why does he love this angry, lustful, selfish, hateful sinner? Why does he love me? Because he made me. Because he made me into his image. Because he wants to love me. That's a good enough reason. And that's where Paul arrives when he says, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Friends, the Son of God loves you. And he gave himself for you because he made you. Because you are made in his image despite your anger, your lust, your selfishness, your hatred, your filth. He loves you and he wants salvation for you. So much so that he died in your place on the cross. Friends, if you really believe this, then you can confess your sin. You can be vulnerable in our Christ-centered community. You can believe James 5.16. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. If you really believe that Jesus has taken your place, that your flesh died on the cross with Jesus Christ, that your spirit, which was dead because of sin, came alive again as Christ did when you place your faith in him alone, then you are justified. You can confess your sin without fear and begin the process of real healing, real forgiveness, and you can experience God's salvation that he has for you. And you can experience it now. So let's take a minute to think about this week's application question. Do I trust Christ alone for my justification in a way that means I can be vulnerable? I can confess my sin and find healing instead of keeping it hidden and trying to justify myself. Wrapping up with the last verse, verse 21. I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. To add the law as an appendix to faith in Christ alone is to nullify the grace of God. If you have not already accepted it, God wants to give you the gift of salvation. He wants to give you the gift of his grace. When you say with your beliefs or actions, no, I need more than that, you nullify the grace of God. Let me close with this quote from James Boyce. Those who choose to add works to salvation suppose that to earn their salvation is somehow praiseworthy and noble when actually it is vainglorious and ignoble. True nobility and humility is to accept what God offers 
One must either receive God's offer of salvation or insult him. Let's pray together, friends. God, you have proven your love over and over to us. And the the pinnacle of that love, the pinnacle of you showing us that love is by taking yourself, by dying on the cross on our behalf, by taking our place in that so that we can die to the law, so that we can die to our sin, so that we can experience righteousness through you. God, I pray that we would understand this and that we would understand that we can fearlessly confess our sin, that we can step into true vulnerability for healing, for forgiveness, for freedom from the bondage and the pain of sin. Help us to understand this in a real way, able to experience this sin today, experience this salvation today. We love you, God. We praise you. Amen.